Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament passage of Ephesians. The New Testament passage of Ephesians and chapter number 5. Ephesians and chapter number 5. We are closing down in the next couple weeks, uh, closing down on this series of Ephesians, talking about the idea, the purpose of Ephesians is to bring glory to God by the church. And one of the greatest ways to bring glory to God by the church is to have unity in the church. That this is written with the mind that the church of Ephesus was to have unity. And how do we have unity? When we all have our eyes upon the Lord. When every single one of us is looking towards God, that we're going to be walking the same place, having the same goal, going to the same idea that we're following after God. And that the good thing is, is that if you follow after God and I follow after God, there will be a unity. And that's how God designed it and desired it. But it only works as if we have our eyes on the Lord and not on circumstances, not on other things, not on our pet projects, that we're looking towards the Lord. As we still continue with that same thought, that if God is God and God wants to guide us and lead us, we also understand that God created us with purpose. There was a reason why you were created and there's a reason why you were saved. There is a good acceptable and perfect will of God for each and every person and we can know it. If you don't mind, let's study more about that today in the book of Ephesians chapter number 5. Ephesians chapter 5 and notice with me starting at verse number 15. Ephesians chapter 5 and in verse number 15 the word of God says this, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, where is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts, Toward the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you have it in marking things in your Bible, would you actually mark two phrases that are found in this passage? Notice, first of all, in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 17, notice the phrase, the will of the Lord, the will of the Lord. And then notice in verse number 18 the phrase, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And with the Lord's help, I'd like to hit this idea here of the will of God and the Holy Spirit. The will of God and the Holy Spirit. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you, I'm just asking that you would help us. Help us now. Lord, I recognize that out of any message that a Christian should hear in their life, 
This one is probably the most important message that every born-again believer needs to hear and understand and process. Lord, because this message is so important, because this message is so beyond me that I can't convince anybody, I can't twist anybody's arm, I can't even make it make sense. Lord, that is your responsibility and your duty. And so the best I know how, I surrender myself to you, my thoughts, my health, my strength, my lips, my, my words, the process of thinking, my ambitions, my goals, my desires. I give them all to you now. And I'm asking, Lord, that in a special way that you would empower this service with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your spirit. Fill this place with your presence. Help every person in here to be alert and desiring for your good and perfect and acceptable will for their life. And that you would do something amazing as decisions are made, as hearts are illuminated by your Holy Spirit. That you would do something everlasting and permanent because of this message now. Lord, again, this is a big responsibility and a big deal. You just be God and get your own work accomplished through your precious word. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Good. Well, as I've already kind of introduced, that God loves you. We know that by idea that God does love us. And he loved us so much that he proved his love towards us. Romans 5, 8. For God commendeth his love towards us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You understand that every single one of us are sinners. Every single one of us have, have fallen short of the glory of God. There is none perfect. No, none, not one. There is none righteous. No, not one. Every single one of us have failed the Lord. And because we failed the Lord, because we have sinned, the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. You understand, every single person in here has sinned. I am a pastor. But you know one of the Ten Commandments is that thou shall not bear false witness. Or we would say it this way, don't tell lies. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Raise your hand. Right? If you're not raising your hand, you're a liar. <laughs> you know, we've all told lies. You understand that the punishment, according to the Bible, for breaking one of the Ten Commandments is death. We deserve death for telling one little lie. You say, but, 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 but I was a little kid when I told a lie, and, and, and I said my brother did it and when it was me. I'm sorry, it doesn't matter what the circumstances were. As long as you told a lie, the punishment you deserve according to the law for breaking God's Ten Commandments is death. The Bible says in another Ten Commandment, to honor thy father and thy mother. We would say it this way, to obey your folks. Well, I'm a pastor, but I've disobeyed my folks. How many of you ever disobeyed your folks? Raise your hand again. Again, if you didn't raise your hand, you know, <laughs> that's where parents start looking at their kids to make sure they raise their hand up, you know. We've all disobeyed our folks. We've all disobeyed authority. But you say, but, 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 but my mama told me to clean my room and I didn't. That's disobedience. And according to the law, you've broken God's law. You're a sinner. Because you've broken God's law and a sinner, you deserve death. You say that's harsh. Yes, but God owns everything and he's allowed to make the rules. And those are his rules. 
You understand that heaven is a perfect place. That's why we want to go there. Up in heaven, there's no more sickness, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death, no more tears. It's perfect. But what really makes heaven perfect and worth going there is that God is there. But do you understand that the Bible describes God that he is holy, holy, holy. The word holy carries the idea of perfect. So we could say it this way, that God is perfect, perfect, perfect. He's just not one perfect. He is perfect, perfect, perfect. But you and I, dear friend, we are not perfect. And so just using logic, you can't set something that's not perfect and place it inside of a perfect heaven. It would ruin it. And so in order to keep heaven perfect, God has set the regulation that only perfect things can go into heaven. You say, well, that makes sense, but that's hard. You know what that means? None of us deserve to go to heaven. That's the truth. It's not a fun truth, but it is the truth nonetheless. But this is where the goodness of God comes up. That for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You understand that God loves us so much, he didn't want to see a single person Go to an awful place called hell. That God loves us so much. He wants every single person to go to heaven. So what he did. Is that he sent his son. To die for us. To make us perfect. Jesus paid our price for us. So now we're allowed to go to heaven. Because the penalty has been paid. And it was paid by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And now that... Every single one of us has to come to the place of decision. Will I accept this free gift? The moment that you realize that you're a sinner. And because of your sin you deserve to go to hell. But Jesus is your only way. And then you personally accept Jesus as your savior. A wonderful thing happens. That you get what we call in Bible terms. You get saved. What do you get saved from? You get saved from the penalty you owed God. You are delivered. You are saved. You are pulled up that's why we use that word saved it's a precious word to us we are saved from the penalty we owe god the bible also says something else wonderful happens that the moment that you accept jesus christ as your personal savior the holy spirit of god who is god comes to indwell inside of us the book of ephesians chapter one already covers this it says we are sealed by the holy spirit remember that word seal carries the idea of a stamp Basically, God gave us a contract and he used his seal of the Holy Spirit to confirm that God is going to do what he said he was going to do. What's more is that the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1 that he is our earnest, that the Holy Spirit's our earnest. That if, for example, uh, they don't do so much this anymore. Back in the old days, if you were going to buy a house, you would have to give earnest payment. That says, this is a payment that I give to show that I'm very serious. I'm going to buy this house. Well, the Bible speaks about the Holy Spirit. God has given to us the Holy Spirit as an earnest. To say that God is going to do what he said he was going to do. And to prove it, here is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to dwell with you and then... That's proof that I'm very serious about doing what I said I was going to do. So the Holy Spirit comes to indwell with us. He seals us to the day of redemption. He is our earnest. It is the proof. The Holy Spirit becomes a part of you. And by the way, God will never leave you nor forsake you. He becomes a part of you and you can't lose him. You can't 
play hide and seek and then he can't find you no more. He's a part of your life. He is a part of you forever and ever. And the moment that you accept Jesus as your Savior, you get all of the Holy Spirit you're ever going to get. You have all of them. He's part of you. He's now indwelling and part of you. Now, God, when he created us, he created us with purpose. Meaning that there was something in his mind. Before you were a twinkle in your daddy's eye, God had a plan for your life. And when you came to know Jesus Christ as your personal savior, he also had a reason why he saved you. Because he's that good of a God. You understand that every single one of you have a good and perfect an acceptable will for your life. By the way, that's not three wills. That's one will, three ways of describing God's good, perfect, and acceptable will for your life. God has a plan for your life. And let me tell you a secret. You can know it. God doesn't play spiritual hide and seek with spiritual things. He doesn't do kind of an idea where he says, All right, come find me. And then every time you turn around the corner, that He's not there and you say maybe he's there and you're almost there. That's not how God plays. God plays hide and seek, uh, spiritual hide and seek like my kids would play hide and seek. Like they're little kids. We've got some other little kids there. You know how little kids play hide and seek? They say, Daddy, go count. All right, one, two. Then you hear the pitter-patter of little feet. And back in, my young, in the younger days, uh, my kids, they always did everything together. And so you could hear them and you could hear them run together and they could go into the same bedroom and hide under the bed and, you know, 100. All right, ready or not, here I come. And so you go into the bedroom and you go, all right, kids, are you in here? And you hear under the bed. Oh, let's see if they're here. Are they in the closet? Ah, And you hear, no, daddy. And then you go, well, maybe they're in the bathroom. Nope. And you hear hee. And you say, oh, there must not be in here. Let me go look in a different room. And then you'll hear, look under the bed. And you go and look under the bed and go, oh. And they go, daddy, how'd you find us? You understand why my kids hid? They hid because they wanted to be found. You understand that God, with dealing with spiritual things, he's not trying to hide things from us. He just wants us to put forth the effort to look for it. That also includes God's Good, perfect, and acceptable will. He wants you to know it, but he also wants you to look for it. And he will show it to you if you just look. And so with that in mind, knowing that every single one of us have a good, perfect, and acceptable will, and that God wants you to know it, let's see some things from this passage in Ephesians chapter 5 dealing with the will of God. First thing I'd like to show you is that we need to know God's will Because the time is short. We need to know the will of God because the time is short. Notice with me in verse number 15. See then that you walked circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. That word circumspectly carries the idea of carefully or perfectly. The Bible says that we are to walk circumspectly. That we're supposed to walk carefully. We're supposed to walk perfectly. We're supposed to take the exact steps that God wants us to take. Why? Verse 15. Not as fools, but as wise. Meaning that God wants you to take the exact steps. We're, we, uh, it goes on in verse 16. Redeeming the time. The word redeem means to buy back. And so God wants us to buy back the time. To use the time that we have wisely. Why? 
because the days are evil. The word evil here carries the same idea of our word pornographic. You understand that we live in a very pornographic world. We live in a world that's falling apart and is becoming more debauched, more crazy, more evil all the time. And you understand that we as Christians, we are the ones that turn the tide of society. You understand that how we live or what we allow helps dictate what that goes on in society. For example, if everyone who claimed to be a professing believer stood where the Bible stood, there are certain things that could not be around in our society, in our county, and our other things. You understand this is important. We live in a world that's falling apart, and it's not Washington's fault. It's not the liberals' fault. It's not the conservatives' fault. It's not the Democrats' fault. It's not the Republicans' fault. It's the Christians' fault. Because we fail to do what God told us to do. We try to mix in the world and the world falls apart around us because we are not living like we should as Christians. This is what this passage is saying is that we're supposed to redeem the time. Make the time that we have count because it's short. We only have a small time to affect the world. We only have a small time. Someone said it this way, that on your tombstone, you have a date you were born, a date you die, and then you have a little dash. And all your life is that little dash. That's all we have. We only have a small amount of time in history for us to live and to obey God's will. And there's a lot of time wasters. There's a lot of things to help us from redeeming the time. But the Bible says that see then yet walk circumspectly, not as fools. Now this word fools carries the idea of not living your life regard to God, but as wise. You understand how easy it is for Christians to live their life without regard to God? Well, I'm going to give all day to play Facebook. Well, I'm going to give all day to to mess around with this. I'm going to give all day to do this. Now, there's nothing wrong with hobbies, but there's everything wrong when it interferes with us doing what God has created us to do, what God has designed us to do, what his purpose for our life is. That God has a perfect will for our life. And if we do not accomplish or do what God has given us to do, the world is going to get worse and worse while we sit there and do nothing. We need to know God's will because the time is short. You know, one of the fears that people should have is going on, you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, but when you die, you stand before God and God says, man, I had so much for you to get accomplished and you didn't get anything done. I'd hate to hear that. I want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I want him to say, this is, you've done what I've asked you to do and you've got it accomplished. Now look at everything that happened because of it. Rather than facing God and say, I've wasted everything. If you ever need a good study on this, you could always study the book of Ecclesiastes. In the book of Ecclesiastes, King Solomon is older man. He's uh, about ready to pass. And what he does is he stops and then looks back to the rest of his life. And he says, you know what? I'm the king. I had so much power. Not only am I the king, I had so much wealth. Anything I wanted for pleasure, I could have. I had the wealth. I had the means. Not only that, he had the intelligence. Uh, Solomon just didn't study animals. He became a zoologist. Not only did he study plants, he became a botanist. He became so unstudied. He says, I got the degrees. I got the money. I got the station. 
But he says, after I look at my life, this is what my conclusion is. He says, life without regard to God is vanity. That means empty. He says, I look at my life, and even though I have the wealth, my life is empty. I have all the intelligence, but my, wife is, my life is empty. I have all the pleasures that anyone could desire, and my life is empty. He says, finally in chapter 12, he said, this is the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and obey him. He says, you know what? To keep your life from being wasted, from being empty, is just to do what God's created you to do in the first place. That's exactly what it's saying in the book of Ephesians here. Redeeming the time that we all have the same amount of time. What are you doing with that time? If you were to count up all the seconds in a day and say, those are money, and I forgot off the top of my head how many seconds are in a day or how many minutes are in a day, you understand that if we translated that to, a lot of, to money, that'd be a lot of money. What are you doing with that money that you have currently? Well, every single one of us have the same amount of time in a day. You don't have more minutes in a day than I do. I wish I could borrow your minutes of the day. But we all have the same amount of minutes in the day. What are you doing with the time that you have? That God has a good and perfect and acceptable will. What is it that God has given you to do? Notice as we go on. Not only do we need to know God's will because the time is short. But we also can know God's will for ourselves. We can know God's will for ourselves. Notice with me in verse 17. Wherefore be ye not unwise but understanding what the will of the Lord is. God's word tells us that we can know God's will. That we don't have to hope or guess or wonder but we can know and know with the surety what God's good and perfect and acceptable will is. Now let me pause here. We do know that there is a general will of God, meaning that there's things that God expects every person to do. First of all, God expects everyone to get saved, meaning that they come to the place where they realize that they're a sinner because of their sin, that they've accepted Jesus, uh, that that they deserve to go to hell, but Jesus is their only answer. And they personally ask Jesus to be their savior. Dear friend, if you don't know for sure that you're going to heaven right now, let me tell you what God's good and perfect acceptable will for your life is right now for you to get saved. That is God's will for your life. And we'd be glad to take the Bible and to show you from the Bible how you can know without a doubt that you're going to heaven, that you have forgiveness of sins. And by the way, God doesn't want you to hope or guess or think. He wants you to know. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. These things are written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have everlasting life. I have a science background, so I love that word know. That word know means to have evidence of, to know with a surety, to have proof behind it. You understand that God wants you to know that you're going to heaven, not to hope or guess or think, but to have evidence, to have proof, to have a surety that you are going to heaven. I'm so thankful that I know that I know that I know that I'm going to heaven, not because of anything I've done, but because of God's promises, and he has proved it that God's will. Now, after you've come to know Jesus Christ, your Savior, there's still more of a general will that every Christian should do. Listen here. God expects 
desires and it is his perfect will for every Christian to read his word every day. That is God's good, perfect, acceptable will. That's his general will for every Christian. If someone is to come up to me and say, Preacher, I just don't know if God wants me to read my Bible. Can you answer that? You know what my answer would be? Absolutely. God wants you to know his word. Thy word have I hid my heart that I might not sin against thee. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter number 3. Uh, to study to show thyself approved unto God a workman rightly dividing the word of truth. God wants you to study his word to know God's will. He wants you to know it for sure. That's God's general will. He wants every Christian to do that. You know, someone else says, what else does God expect every Christian to do? God expects every Christian to pray. Without a doubt, every Christian is to pray. To have that relationship. Not just to use God as a Santa Claus in the sky or a genie in the lamp. He wants you to talk with him. To speak with him. Tell him about your day. Tell him how you feel. He wants to hear about all of it. He wants to have a personal relationship with you. He wants every Christian to pray. What else is God's will? He wants you to be a member of a local, uh, local church where it's teaching the Bible. Everyone needs a church home. We could prove that in the Bible that that's God's will for every saved person to be a per member of a church, a local church where they can serve and grow and have a pastor love on them. What else is God's good and perfect acceptable will for everyone's life? The general will God expects every Christian to give. God speaks about that from New Testament Old Testament, all throughout, before the law, after the law, God expects every Christian to live. He actually goes so far and say that if we do not tithe, we're robbers. We rob him. That God always blesses the tithe. And that if you are not currently tithing, I could tell you with a surety from the Bible that God's will for you is to tithe. Without a doubt, that's what the Bible says. There's one other general thing that God expects every Christian to do. And that's to tell others about Jesus Christ. That is God's general will. He expects every Christian to do it. The Bible goes on. Actually, Jesus himself says, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. What that says is that if we follow Christ, we don't make ourselves fishers of men. He makes us fishers of men. And by the way, that also reverses true. If you are currently not telling people about the Lord then that is evidence you are not following after him. That's what the Bible says. But it is God's good and perfect and acceptable will for all of us to tell the story of what happened to us. Everyone has a testimony. We are commanded, not just suggested, we are commanded in the Bible for every Christian to go tell someone else. Pass out a track, invite them to church, do something to bring them to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now that's God's general will. Those are things that God expects every Christian to do. That first of all, everyone needs to be saved. And once they're a Christian, God's good will for you is to read your Bible every day, to pray every day, to be a member of a church that is teaching the word of God that's going to love on you and help you to grow. He expects every Christian to give and he expects every Christian to tell others about Jesus Christ. That's God's will for every person. Now beyond that, God has a general, or specific tailored will for every person. For example, and sometimes there's a lot of things. For example, if you are a parent, God's good and perfect acceptable will for your life is to be the best parent that God enables you to be. That's a good, 
That's one of the best wills of God that you could have is to influence young people to, to the Lord. Now, he could be specific. For example, it is God's good and perfect and acceptable will for my life to be the pastor of the Riverview Baptist Church. Now, it's not God's will for everyone in here, but that's God's will for my own life. But God has a specifically tailored, individualized will of God for each and every one of your life. And you can know it. Notice with me, if you don't mind, we're coming back to Ephesians chapter 5. Let me just show you some scripture. Turn with me to my life verse, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. We can know God's will for ourselves. We're turning back to Ephesians, so don't get lost. But look with me in the book of Romans chapter number 12. Romans chapter 12, and notice with me if you don't mind, Romans 12 starting at verse number 1. Romans 12 starting at verse 1, the word of God says this. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now here, this is a verse that tells you how you can prove, not just know, but to prove, to put it to the test, that you can look back and say, yep, this was evidence that this was God's will for my life. How can you know it? By presenting your bodies a living sacrifice to God. Notice the qualifications. Holy and acceptable unto God. You understand that God doesn't want your leftovers. He doesn't want you to use up your life. And then when you're all frail and can't do anything else. And then say you know I'm going to start serving God now. He wants you now. He wants you with the health and life and strength you have now. He wants you to be able to use your God. Your life. Your talents. Everyone has talents. Everyone has influence everyone has something they could use for the lord and god wants you to say god you have it all it is yours whatever you want to do in my life i give to you just show me what to do and he will i beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of god that you present your bodies now by the way what is our bodies we understand with our bodies we have our five senses right taste touch hearing uh sight um just forgot the other one good smell you understand that all of those senses give to God. God, I give you everything that goes into my eye gate. I give to you that I'm only going to see those things that you want me to see. God, I'm only going to allow the things through my ear gate. Things that will be pleasing to you and the things I hear. God, I give you what I touch. That everything I touch, I only want to be pleasing to you. God, I give you my smell. Lord, the things that I smell... I want to be turned to you. Say, well, that's kind of funny. Yeah, you ever smell a cigarette smoke? That's not pleasing to the Lord. You understand that everything that I taste, that I put in my mouth, that I want to be pleasing to you. You understand that if we give our bodies and say, God, here, I am now at your disposal. You tell me what to do. He will, verse number two. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind Notice this, that you may prove. 
Again, that word prove <coughs> means that it was put through the test. It means that there's evidence of. That it went through a trial and it came through evidenced that this was the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Again, these are not three different unique wills of God. This is one will of God that is three adjectives describing it. What is this will of God? It is good. What is this will of God? It is acceptable. What is this will of God? It is perfect. And God has a good, acceptable, and perfect will of God for each one of you. And that if you obey God and say, God, I'm going to do what you tell me to do. When you look back, you'll say, look, there's evidence. There is proof that I was in God's will. He proved it. Man, isn't that a wonderful thing? That I don't have to go in my life wondering, did I waste my life? Did I waste my life? God is so good that he's made it that while I'm still alive, I can go, I have proved what God's will is. I know I'm doing what God has told me to do. What a wonderful thing that is. That I don't have to hope or guess that I'm pleasing the Lord. I can know that I'm pleasing him. I'm doing what God has wanted me to do. The Apostle Paul, we're not going to dive through it. But if you study the language of the Apostle Paul, he knew that he was in God's will. He said, I finished the course. How do you know he finished the course if he didn't know what course to run? He knew exactly what God has given him to do. And he knew that he accomplished what God had given him to do. Now, if you don't mind, turn back with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. We're talking about the will of God for everyone's life that God has a good acceptable and perfect will of God for everyone's life and that we need to know God's will because the time is short we can know God's will for ourselves. but there's one other thing I'd like to show you in the book of Ephesians is that we can be empowered for God's will we can be empowered for God's will let me tell you um, a true statement we can not do God's work. You say, well, you just got through talking for the last couple minutes about how we can know God's will. You understand that only God can do his work. All I am is an instrument. And that if God is using me as an instrument, he could get his thing accomplished. For example, imagine with me a glove. We're in Wisconsin, so everyone's familiar with gloves. If you took a glove and put it on a table and say, all right, glove, go shovel the snow. It'll just look at you and stare and do nothing, right? That glove, in order for it to be used, has to be empowered. It has to have a hand inside of it. Now, that glove could be a good instrument. It could be well insulated or it could be full of holes and almost useless. But we want to be the best instrument possible. But we understand that God is the one that does the work. And if we surrender ourselves to God, that God can use us as an instrument to get accomplished what he wants to get accomplished. And that when we realize that God has a good and perfect acceptable will, but I can't do it, only God can, then we understand the secret that we need to be filled with God's spirit. We need to be empowered by his spirit. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number 18. And be not drunk with wine, where is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, God is using an analogy. Every single one of us have seen someone who's been intoxicated by alcohol. We understand that it starts with a drink, and then another, and another, until the alcohol fills that person, and the alcohol is in control. Now, does the alcohol completely wipe out your personality? Not at all. What it does is it enhances certain elements of your personality, 
but it now is controlled while your judgment is hindered. Uh, hindered. That the Holy Spirit draws this deliberate parallel between being drunk with wine and a man filled with the Spirit. An intoxicated person deliberately chooses to drink. Someone who's filled with the Spirit deliberately chooses to be filled with the Spirit. A person who drinks, drinks more, and his behavior changes. The drink temporarily transforms the personality's personality, but there's no such thing as a permanent intoxication. The same thing with the filling of the Spirit. That God gives it to a unique power, a unique service, and then it's over with. And that we have to be filled with the Spirit again. That's why we understand that being filled with the Spirit is different than the other works of the Holy Spirit. When God saves you, He seals you and He'll never leave you, forsake you. When you get saved, you get all of the Holy Spirit that you're going to get. But the Holy Spirit does not get all of you. That's why we have to die to self. If I could use another illustration. That if I had a cup that was halfway filled with milk. In order to fill it with Mountain Dew. I just wouldn't take the milk and then put more Mountain Dew in there. I would get a mixture called Milk Dew or something. In order to fill this cup with Mountain Dew. I have to first empty the cup of its contents. So that way it could be filled with a different substance. To, for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that's the same thing. That I have to empty myself of me. I surrender my control, my ambitions, my desires, my goal. And I surrender it and say, God, you do what you want. I am surrendered to you. And then God will use you as an instrument to get his work accomplished. That's the short idea of being filled with the Spirit. That you already have all the Holy Spirit you're going to get. But you are not yielded to control of the Holy Spirit normally. We normally aren't. The Bible commands us to be filled with his Spirit. Only God can do his work. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is a deliberate choice. That this filling is dependent upon the cooperation of the Holy Spirit. To be filled, we have to empty ourselves of our desires, our likes, our ambitions, uh, our obedience. Whatever he tells us to do, we're willing to do. And as we die to self, we yield ourselves to God and the Holy Spirit. When a Christian is filled with the Holy Spirit, he becomes a different person. He exhibits the loveliness of Christ and the fruits of the Spirit. Notice with me in verse number 19. Still with the idea of being filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourself in psalms, and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You understand that when God is in control, the Holy Spirit wants to praise the Lord. The Holy Spirit wants to honor God. The Holy Spirit wants to lift him up. By the way, just because there's so much misteaching on the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit never brags on itself. The Holy Spirit always points to God and points to Christ. And that when God is in control, there's a peace that passes all understanding. When God's in control, he's the one that works. You're not going to be filled with the Spirit and say, I hate God, I hate church, I hate this, I don't want to do it. That doesn't match. When God is in control, he is going to be evident. Notice with me in verse 19, uh, verse 20. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You understand that these two verses are the evidence of being filled with the Spirit, that there's something different about us, that we can be thankful for all things. Now, we understand that not all things are easy for us to be thankful, right? 
Well, I'm thankful to the Lord that I have this cough that just won't go away. But do you understand that when I understand that God's in control and that he's doing things and that God's there, I can even rejoice in the things that are inconvenient to me. That, that's part of the difference when God is in control and when I'm in control. We all know, someone said this, I may not necessarily know when I'm filled with the Spirit, but I sure know when I'm not. We sure know that sometimes when our, when our flesh is in control. You understand that if you are not filled with the Spirit, if you're angry and frustrated, how dare you? That's not evidence of the Holy Spirit. The book of Galatians takes time to speak about the fruit of the Spirit. You understand that that's the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of a Christian? Those are things that are not natural in us of love, joy, peace, gentleness, long-suffering, all those things. Those are evidence that the Holy Spirit's in charge and not me because I can't work up those things. Only God can do that. Remember, only God can do his work. I, in order to be used of God, have to die to self and let him be in charge. But when God does his work, God does things amazing you understand that man has some power and man can get some things accomplished but we should not be satisfied with what man can get done we need to be satisfied with what god and god alone can do for example in 10 years from now if someone was to come to the church and say how in the world did this church get here how did it get to this place if we could say give any explanation of what we did and how we did it then <laughs> then it was us that was doing it if we have to say, I have no clue, all I know is that God did it, that's what we want. We want where God gets the glory, God gets the honor. Say, it didn't work out on paper, but God paid the bills. It didn't work how it is, but God did this, and God saved this, and God did this miracle. You understand, we want what only God can do, and that can only be done when God is doing it. We are just instruments to be set aside. And you understand, our world can be reached, our world can be impacted when we as Christians realize that God's got a plan for us. And in order to get that plan accomplished, we have to die to our ambitions, our goals, our desires, our wants, our likes, our dislikes. And say, God, you do it all. And God will get his work accomplished. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.